Hello, everyone, and welcome back to A Priest Forever, the Vocations Office of the Diocese of Bridgeport's podcast. Uh, we are excited to welcome you back. We hope that you are doing well. We hope that your Lent uh, has been a very blessed and graced time for you. Uh, today, we are very happy to welcome uh, our next guest, uh, Father Corey Piccinino, uh, who currently serves as the pastor at St. Mary's Church in Bethel. Welcome, Father Corey. We're so grateful to have you here Thank with us Thank you, Father today. Ford. It's good to be with you. Excellent. Excellent. Great. So why don't we begin as, as kind of we, we have become accustomed to, which is just tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us a little bit about where you're from. Who is Father Corey Piccinino? Well, I was uh, born in 1960 in Bridgeport. I'm a Bridgeport fella um, all my life. I uh, My mother and father... Uh, lived on the east side of Bridgeport. My mom, Frances, has passed about six years ago. My dad, who's 97, still lives home alone. Dominic um, still drives wow. and uh, is probably in better shape than most of us. Um, <laughs> I have an older sister, Donna, who is a widow. Um, she has two daughters, and they each have two children. And so it's just the two of us in our family. We... Uh, Grew up on the east side of Bridgeport on Knowlton Street, and we lived underneath my grandfather, my grandfather Vito, who was um, my dad's dad, and had a lot of influence on me when I was growing up. Uh, was a real solid, good man. And uh, we belonged to St. John the Pomacene Church, which was uh, on the east side of Bridgeport. It's interesting that the the big altar from that church has now moved to St. Charles. So I was glad to see it's still used. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It was a Slovak ethnic parish. And even though I'm half Slovak and half Italian, we went to that church and uh, kind of a lot of our social life was, was involved in that as well. I went to St. John the Palmacine school for the first six years of education and that school closed so I went to uh, St. John the Baptist School, which was really right down the street from St. John the Palmacine, and it was a Byzantine Catholic school. So I was there for two years, and then they closed. And now I think it's called Roberto Clemente School. And then I went over to the other okay. side of Bridgeport to Holy Rosary, and that's where I graduated from eighth grade. Then I went to Notre Dame High School in uh, Fairfield. And after that, Sacred Heart University for college. And then I ended up at St. John's Seminary in Brighton, Massachusetts, where I did my seminary days. And in those days, um, seminarians were sent to St. John's, to Rome, and to another other, number of other places in uh, the state of not just Connecticut, but around the country. Um, I had a, a great childhood. Nothing too spectacular. I had a dog, a beagle named Buddy, on one of the busiest streets of uh, Bridgeport. We always had to keep running after him all the time. He loved to run down the busy street. Never was hurt, thank God. And um, I played Little League Baseball. Not well. Um, I'm not very coordinated. Even when I went for my driver's license, thank God it snowed that day. So I didn't have to parallel park. So God was looking out for me. That's I was an altar boy uh, and then yeah. a member of the choir and a lector. And like I said, I had a lot of um, a lot of good experiences at church. I had a really great pastor, Father Al Tomasco, who has since passed. And I didn't really have a relationship with him, but 
it was a good, uh, I don't know, I admired him greatly. And I mean, it's not like he came to our house or anything like that, but he was always very kind and he was very well known in the area of the east side of Bridgeport and people had a lot of respect for him and so did I. So I always thought he was a great influence um, on me. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's a, that's that's really important that we don't often realize, right, as priests, we think that a lot of times it's the things that we do, right, that that can have an influence on people. But we don't often realize sometimes just who we are, the impact that that can have on people, on how just by our presence, just by being priests, even people that we may not necessarily realize that we're having an impact on uh it can have a significant one as, as clearly mm-hmm. it did for you. A lot of people though, um, <laughs> they say that I missed my vocation. And I think one of the reasons why they do that is um, I'm a kind of a funny guy, uh, make a lot of jokes. And um, so I think that what they mean is I would have made a good comedian, comedian, but I don't know if they don't think I'd make a good priest, <laughs> but um, it all sort of worked out in the end. <laughs> I think uh, That's right. you can bring That's right. a lot of comfort to people with humor. So um, anyway, but Absolutely. I'm sorry. No, no, you're fine. It just, you know, one of the things that you really started off with and I, and I would, I'd love to hear a little bit more about um, is, is it's so obvious how important family mm-hmm. is to you is the very first things you started talking about were your parents and your sister and your nieces and, 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 and your father and all those things and your grandfather. So I just would, would just welcome maybe a little bit more, you know, talking about the impact um, that your family has had on you, because I think, I think that's something that is really, really important for us to understand, especially if we're going to think about our faith um, really as, as a community and as a family, uh, just about the importance of family to you. Well, it's, it's kind of interesting that, you know, I look back and, um, my father was a firefighter and, um, in those days in the Bridgeport fire department, they had three days on, uh, three days off and three nights. And we, ins- my parents insisted that when my father was working nights, that we would still have supper together, it was dinner together. And that was really important. Mm-hmm. So for three days out of nine, we would have dinner at four o'clock. Uh, which seems kind of unusual for a lot of people. They eat at five, six, seven o'clock, but because it was, it was family time. And even though he was going to work, we would have dinner together all the time. Um, I didn't come from a, a family that was um, too demonstrative in any way with emotions or, um, you know, it wasn't, it, we had a loving family without saying it. And um, it's also that we weren't, um, how can I say this? We weren't dramatically religious. I mean, we went to mass every day, every, every week. We did the Holy Day masses. Um, you know, like I said, I went to Catholic school and, uh, you know, but we, we weren't, uh, saints by any means. Okay. And, uh, I personally never struggled with the faith. I always believed and I always, um, you know, I never wavered from it, in other words. But, um, you know, my my, fa- my grandfather, for example, uh, from Italy, he didn't go to church except for funerals and, and weddings and stuff, but he was a deeply religious man. 
he prayed on his own. Mm -hmm. And um, so I, I guess what I'm saying is you can come from any background um, and still have uh, a spiritual sense in your family of the church and um, go from there. So uh, right now, I'm very happy to say that I have um, two nieces. And as I said before, they have children. Um, one niece is, has Gianna, who is a uh, just received a driver's license. And we're very proud of her. And Michael, who is a big Mets fan. And then we have uh, my other niece, Kara, who has um, Ava, who is um, a bundle of energy and Sophia, who is everybody's sweetheart. So um, I spend a lot of time um, kind of uh, spoiling them <laughs> since I don't have uh, kids of my own. In that sense, um, I, I spoil them. I spoiled my nieces, but now they take a back seat yeah. to the grandnieces and nephew. Sure, sure. I, it's it's funny. That's actually something that I'm beginning to experience myself. I have now my first mm -hmm. niece, uh, Adeline, who uh, just celebrated her first birthday uh, just a few days ago, and so it was it was actually unfortunately they live in ah. Arizona. So, uh, but but made the trek out there because her first birthday was definitely not something uh, that sure. I was going to miss. But it's. You know, but it's it is it's it's, you know, family is is so um, so critically important. And I think you bring up something else that's really, really important for us to remember and to realize that sometimes vocation stories and sometimes even our relationship with Jesus and our relationship with the church is not something dramatic. It's not always something that is this kind of, you know, mountaintop experience or whatever. And it doesn't need to be. Right, that that our relationship with God, our relationship with our faith, is something that can happen very naturally, very organically, um, and very simply. And that doesn't mean that it's any less strong. It doesn't mean that it's any less good or any less beautiful than someone who has one of those kind of lightning strike moments, so to speak. True. Yeah, when we had talked about. Uh me coming on the, the program here, I had told you that I don't really have a very exciting story to tell uh, about my vocation. It's something that I felt as long as I can remember that I wanted to be a priest. And uh, yeah. as I said, we didn't come from an overly religious family. Uh, it was something that I felt and, and there was no plan B, for example. Um, I didn't mm -hmm. want to I never thought about becoming anything else, a lawyer or whatever. It just it just wasn't there. And I never had the girl I left at the altar. Um, you know, mm -hmm. it was just something that I, I thought I wanted to be for, the, for my entire life. And as a result, I kind of focused everything on that. It's not like I didn't have fun in my life. I don't mean that. But I mean, it was, and I wasn't constantly in prayer. But I did the things I did, even in college, for example, so that um, I would be on that path to priesthood. Yeah, I sure. I kind of envy those people who have these big mountaintop things because it, it seems like people are so interested in those great stories, you know. I got into a, a, yeah. a relationship and then I had to decide whether I was going to do this or not. Or, you know, people wanted me to become a doctor. It was, it was none of that. I remember when I told my parents, I think I was about 17 years old, and my mother said, I, I kind of knew this already. And um, she said, yeah. I wasn't surprised. And the only thing we want to do is, is 
hope you're happy in what you do. So they were very, always very supportive. And I think no matter what I wanted to do, they would be supportive, you know? Sure. It's a little yeah. weird. I have to admit, yeah. it's a little weird being the priest of the family. Because you go from being <laughs> son bit. and brother and um, nephew to celebrating yeah. funerals and weddings and baptisms, who people say, I knew you when you were a bit of a jerk, you know, when you were younger. And now I'm, I'm bringing Jesus to them in these, in these grace-filled sacraments. Yeah. So it, it is a little, a little strange. Good, strange, strange yeah. nonetheless. Yeah, it's and it's a delicate balance, right? It's a delicate balance sometimes for us to strike. I remember, you know, um, my grandfather passed away just just this past September, and it was, you know, one, it was okay. Obviously, I'm you know celebrating the funeral and doing those things, but there's 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 a couple different pieces to it, right? So, for example, um, you know, when it came time for the wake service, I made the decision. I did not do the wake. I celebrated the funeral the next day. But I had Father Tim Iannacone, a very close friend of the family. He came and did the wake service. And there was two reasons, right? One was I needed to just be his uh-huh. grandson for a little bit, right? I needed to be ministered to as well, which is something I think we don't we don't talk about or acknowledge right. enough sometimes as priests is our own need to be uh-huh. ministered to. But also, you know, I thought of like, you know, my sisters and my cousins and stuff. They also needed a moment where I was not like the center uh-huh. of attention. Right. Where I was not the one doing everything and everything. It was it was no, there was another priest coming in. And and for that moment, I was their brother and I was their cousin again, rather than being the priest in the family, so to speak. And none of them want to go to confession to me, which is all very disappointing. (laughs) I can't imagine why. I cannot imagine why that would be the case. I, I, you know. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Oh man, no, but it, it's again, you know, and, and as we said when 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 we were talking about your coming on the show, right? I think as easy as it is to be envious of those moments, right, of those mountaintop moments that other people have, you know, one of the challenges I see sometimes with guys who are discerning priesthood or or, or anything that God is trying to, to do in their life is that if you spend your time looking for and waiting for that moment, you're gonna miss what God is actually doing in your life. Right. So for you, it was this it was just this kind of steady, constant thought throughout your life that was never really no kind of epiphany, just was there and this constant pull. And you might have missed that if you were saying, well, I I can only be called if I have this extraordinary thing, if this extraordinary event happens, you might have missed or not given as much credence to what ultimately led you to seminary and to the priesthood anyway. That's true. Either way works, I guess. <laughs> yeah. 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 Absolutely. So, you know, you so you said you were you went through through Catholic school, through being an altar boy and all of those things. Talk to me a little bit about that, about, you know, I think we have a lot of people in our in our diocese in particular who are still big supporters of Catholic education. Um, but it's always we're always hearing, you know, oh, a school's closing or this might happen or whatever. But what, talk to me a little bit about that, about the impact that going to Catholic school had um, on you and both in terms of your faith formation, but also in terms of your your discernment of priesthood. Well, interestingly enough, um, going through the three Catholic grammar schools that I went to because of the closings, you know, it was a little bit traumatic, to be honest with you. Um, mm-hmm. You know, 
getting a whole new group of classmates three different times was um, kind of different to say the least. And then going for two years to the Byzantine Catholic school was, you know, opening of a whole new rite of the church that I had never seen before. And um, it's funny when I was in grammar school, so this was in the sixties, the first one, St. John of Pomacene, um, we didn't have, there were nuns in the school, but I didn't have any, they were SSNDs. Mm -hmm. And then when I went to, um, St. John the Baptist, um, they had Monsignor Dolanay, and he was the pastor there. And he became the, a bishop at, on uh, the, uh, the West coast in the diocese there. Mm -hmm. And we had sisters of St. Basil the Great. And, um, mm -hmm. And then when I went to Holy Rosary in Bridgeport, we had one sister there who was a sister of mercy, Sister Julie. And um, I think what Catholic education is, is very much, um, you feel at home, you feel there's a family, you feel safe, um, you always get a great education. And um, there's the interaction between uh, family and church. Um, right now at St. Mary's school, for example, in Bethel, there's a great relationship between the church and the school and they have a great school here. But I, I think the most important thing was that you always got a great education, but there was always something more. And obviously the first thing is, is Jesus and the faith, but, um, sure. the teaching staff, the, the administration was always God centered. There was always a kindness, and um, I have to admit, they used to let us out of school to serve funerals, and I never cried about that too much. Um, <laughs> sure. Yeah, out of school, sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I do think it does have a good influence on, on um, you're not afraid to talk about the Lord. You know, yeah. that's, that's primary, I think, you know. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, so you graduate from, you're getting ready to graduate from mm -hmm. Notre Dame uh, in Fairfield. And so this pull that Ray has been on your heart since, you know, you were young to be a priest, um, but you end up going to Sacred I Heart. Did, did the did the thought of going to seminary right out of high school to like a college seminary, did that really ever come up? Or did you know that you you wanted to go to, to college kind of in the more traditional way? I'm glad way? I went to college in the more traditional way. I almost wish I went away to college. It would have matured me more, hmm. but there was, sure. there was no, um, program, uh, in 1978 okay. for fellas that wanted to be a priest right out of high school. There was no program. And I did talk to Monsignor Cusack, who was the vocation directors at the time. And he said, pick a college, go to college, get some philosophy and we'll see you. Um, and the guys now are so much luckier that there was a program, a connection, mm -hmm. and all the rest of that stuff. But no, I, I actually, sure. I, I worked while I was in, uh, when I was in college, I worked at the Highway Theater in Stratford, Connecticut. And I also worked part-time, which became a full-time job, at Reed's Department Store. And I sold okay. shirts and ties, of which I don't use anymore, right? And I also worked in the shoe department. And right after college, um, I needed a year. And so I worked mm. full time. I tried the seminary and I just said, 
after going um, for a couple of weeks, I just said, I'm not ready yet. And I went and worked full time full time at Reeds, which I loved working with the public, believe it or not. But I guess that's a connection with priesthood. And uh, sure. I worked a lot. And after after a year, I was ready to go to the seminary. I took a trip to Europe and uh, came back and went to uh, Boston for the seminary. And I'm glad I did it that way. Um, as I said, I wish I had gone away to college because I was immature at the time and 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 needed some uh, independence. And uh, I'm really glad I worked because it was a um, an interesting experience learning how to uh, work with people that this was their livelihood. This wasn't something they were just doing on the part time jobs, you know. So it was really important, I think, to get that experience and. Um, I, I think it's a great experience to, um, you know, be an average normal person too. I think it helps in, in your priesthood. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's something that, that we have to understand, right. That, that where our people are coming from, you know, and because we're coming really from the right. same place, right. It's easy to forget that right. sometimes. Um, right. but you know, whatever our ministry is now, right. First and foremost, like, the people that we serve were disciples. We're called to be disciples. And so, um, you know, when we weren't born priests, <laughs> we may have known that, that that's something we wanted to do from a young age or what God was calling us to do from a young age, but we weren't always priests. And so it's good for us to have, have that experience. So, you know, now you, you're armed with that experience and you enter seminary and you go up to St. John's in Brighton. What was your experience like in seminary? Well, I'm not just saying this, but I love the seminary. I really did. I had a great time there. And I think it's for a number of reasons. First of all, the people I went to the seminary with were from all over the country. And Mm -hmm. because of that, I got to know and become friends with a lot of fellows in different experiences. The second thing was Mm -hmm. it was a great education. We were in a consortium with the other uh, seminaries in and around Boston, both Catholic and non-Catholic. And you can take a course there, provided it was approved. And um, the third thing is I love living in Boston. It was a great experience to, to live in Boston for those years. And so uh, my seminary experience, I, uh, I had to study. I mean, education, I always did well in my studies, mm-hmm. but I had to work at it. I d- it didn't necessarily come naturally. So um, sure. but I'm still friends with a lot of fellows from the seminary. Um, it's, it was, uh, like I said, a great experience and, uh, I can't, food wasn't always great, but that was, that was about it. (laughs) Yeah. You don't go to seminary for the food unless you go to Rome. (laughs) That didn't seem to harm, um, what I look like today. So (laughs) yeah, ditto. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. So what year were you ordained? I was ordained December 20th, 1986, uh, five days before Christmas by Bishop Walter Curtis. Now, I, I think that could have been planned a little bit better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was ordination on the 20th. December 21st was my first Mass at St. John's. And then it was Christmas, and I hadn't done a bit of shopping and it was a crazy couple of uh, a couple of days. Um, it was there were two others uh, who were ordained with me, and or I was ordained with them, however you look at it. And uh, 
it was one of Bishop Curtis's last classes, I think, that before he retired. I think there was one more after us. And uh, it was a beautiful, cold day. I, I can remember that. I, I don't remember tons of that stuff, um, but mm. it was a, a, a beautiful day. And so was the day of my first mass. Yeah. And so where and where has your your priesthood kind of taken you since that day? What are some of the, the highlights of uh, of your time serving? Well, the church? you know, it's, it's another interesting thing. I grew up in Bridgeport and lived a couple of years in Stratford. And my uh, diaconate year, or diaconate summer, I spent at St. Anne's in uh, Black Rock. Great people there, too. Um, oh, yeah. But I served my entire 36 years of priesthood up in this area. I was um, assigned to St. Peter's in 1986 mm-hmm. and served there for, I think, 12 years. And I moved um, from there to Immaculate High School which I served there for 12 years as um, first as a teacher and a chaplain, and then as assistant principal. And I did um, recruitments and all that, visiting grammar schools to try to people, get people to Immaculate High School. And I loved being there. It was great. They had great faculty, the kids. I'm still doing weddings and baptisms from those days. Um, People have become very close friends that I had there. So I was there for 12 years. And while I was there, they asked me to move residences. And I became a resident in 2002 here at St. Mary's Mm -hmm. under Monsignor Ed Carl, who another wonderful, wonderful man, great, um, great priest. And was always so very, very kind to me. And then uh, Monsignor got sick and he had to retire. And um, in 2007, I became pastor here and uh, left Immaculate High School, and I've been here ever since. And hopefully the next step for me after I leave here will be retirement. <laughs> I don't want to start again. Uh, that's, yeah. that's fair. That's, I, think, I think that's fair. I think that's, that's reasonable at this point. Now, one of the things I think that whether it's been a conscious decision by you or other people, I don't entirely know. But one of the things that I think has marked in a lot of ways your time at St. Mary's is really still towards education and formation, which is you have had quite a few seminarians and newly ordained priests whose first assignment has been Mm -hmm. St. Mary's. So what has that experience been like for you as a pastor, as a priest, to have really such an integral role in forming uh, our future priests and our new priests. What has that experience been like for you? Well, when I was first ordained, um, settling in as a priest wasn't that easy for me. And I always vowed to myself that I ever got into a place where I could have influence on um, young priests or seminarians. I would love to do that. So when seminarians come here, and I've probably had maybe eight or nine since I've been pastor, mm-hmm. um, maybe even more, because a couple of them have come back more than once. And sure. I love having them here. I love them seeing rectory life as it truly is. Yeah. That some days you're busy as all heck, and other days you have mass, and that's it. You have your paperwork as a pastor and all the rest of that stuff. 
But um, I always like to say, and people, some priests disagree with me, but I, I really believe that a, a priest can set his own schedule. Not that you become lazy or anything like that. I'm just saying that, you know, if you have something, two or three things at night, you can kind of make your morning a little less. And um, mm-hmm. I want I want seminarians to know what they're getting into. You know, we don't sit around and pray 24-7. We don't really have, you know, Gregorian chant playing in the rectory. Um, we're normal fellows. We eat, we um, have fun, we go to the movies. The other day, I was going grocery shopping, and a lady from the parish said, what are you doing here? I wanted to say, well, what the heck do you think I'm doing here? <laughs> food. Again, you know, we have to yeah. eat. Um, yeah. But uh, I, I really do treat, or I try to anyway, treat the seminarians and the newly ordained priests that we get with kick gloves because I want them so desperately to have a good experience here in this parish, which the people are great here, okay? But I think the people are great in every parish. But I want to give them as much experience as priesthood of what they can do without sacramental stuff, what you know. But I want them to experience that in a good environment. I want them to feel safe here. I want them to feel that they can let off steam, that they can act like themselves. They can invite their friends over to have a cookout. All that stuff. I really want them to see how um, you can be, quote, unquote, normal and still be a man Mm -hmm. of God, a man of the cloth, uh, and someone who loves the Lord so very much. And... Uh, I would think that most of the guys who have been here, hopefully um, they would agree that they did have a good experience here. I also want them to know this, that um, if you ground yourself in a good experience, you can deal with anything in your priesthood. Hmm. I think that's important. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Great. Well, thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you for, for sharing a little bit uh, with us uh, of your story and, and how God has, has worked in your life. Um, and so to, to kind of wrap up, I've, I've started doing um, these little quick fire questions, just two or okay. three of them. Um, okay. And just the, the first thing that comes to your mind, uh, which uh, to, to these questions. So the first one is, who is your favorite saint other than Mary? Because that's kind of a given. Uh, saint Jude. <laughs> uh, saint my Jude. mother's favorite Excellent. saint. She always prayed to him. That's probably why I'm a priest. And, uh, yeah. you know, there's a lot of possible things that need to be done. So that's why. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I have another one that I really, um, I really pray to right now. And that's Blessed Carlo Acutis, um, a teenage yeah. boy that... Yeah. Um, is died of leukemia at the age of 15 and he is um semi-incorruptible i i saw his uh resting place in assisi he is um mm-hmm. a man who though he died at a young age had great faith and uh talked about the eucharist and eucharistic adoration mm-hmm. and cataloged all the eucharistic miracles throughout the world um throughout time and Carlo is in a glass um, tomb in Assisi in a small church of Our Lady of the Angels. So I'm praying for him and to him so that, A, he becomes a saint. And there's a special request that I need for someone in my family that I'm, mm-hmm. I'm 
really begging for his guidance and his help. So that was two. Sure. No, but that's okay. And for, for anyone who's listening who has not heard of, of, of Blessed Carla, I, I encourage you to look him up because one of the things that, right, he's, he's recent. Yeah. You know, I mean, this is a, this is this is a uh, you know a blessed a potential saint who 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 played Xbox and this catalog of Eucharistic miracles is online. I think he died um, in two thousand six. It's, it's something you can go search. I think Was he died that? in two thousand six. Yeah, I mean, this is yeah. So this is very recent. This is yeah. So I encourage if you, if you haven't uh, heard of him to go look him up. So the next question is: What is your favorite scripture passage or story from from sacred scripture from the Bible? Um. Hmm. Let me think. I think it's for God so loved the world that he gave us his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. I mean, I paraphrase there. And I also like the other one um, that for God, nothing is impossible. Yeah, that's been I will say, you know, it's funny. That's been a popular one uh, so far with with a couple of, of the guests that we've had on. So so I guess there's some God's trying to tell mm-hmm. us something there. And then, you know, finally, it's just if you had, you know, kind of one um, devotion or spiritual practice of some kind that you would recommend to someone who's trying to discern what God's calling them to do in their life, what would you recommend? I would, without a doubt, say the rosary. Um, I don't miss it. I say it every day. And sometimes I have to say it in parts because things Mm -hmm. come up, but, um, you know, we are Mary's and, uh, she's going to guide us completely through that. So I go to the rosary. Amen. Great. Well, thank you again, you know, Father Corey, for, for your time, for your for the gift of your priesthood. Um, and thank you, you know, for sharing your wisdom and, and your story with with us and with those who who hopefully will listen to the to us and, and figure out what uh, what God's calling them. Great. To do. If I could be the help of anybody, um, feel free to give me a buzz. Sounds sounds good. Great. Well, thank you again to to our guest today, Father Corey Piccinino. Thank you for all of you who are listening to our podcast. We hope that you will continue to enjoy it. Um, And especially as we enter into Holy Week, uh, we pray that you all have a very blessed experience of celebrating uh, the mysteries of our redemption, of the passion, death and resurrection of Jesus. And may you have a wonderful and blessed Easter. May God bless you all. Take care.